you disgusting piece of work. Welcome, one and all, to another round of the book reviews. And I am disgusted. I am shaming you because today we're reading from the book. So you've been publicly shamed by John Ronson, the man with the one of the best names out, John Ronson, who would call their kid that. I don't know. This book was published in 2015 and John Ronson is a gonzo journalist. So if you haven't heard of uh, gonzo journalism before, it was made famous basically by Hunter S. Thompson. And it's where the journalists themselves, sort of their, their writing gets rid of any appearance of objectivity. And it is a very internal subjective experience of the writing of their of the story they're covering with a very deep immersion a deep dive into the story and includes the author in the story themselves so john ronson's very sort of i guess famous for this so this is how he works uh, his style and so he's written a couple of other books which are quite famous the men who stare at goats which was made into a film with brad pitt and the psychopath test which is also another book i'm actually reading at the moment now this book as you would imagine deals with shame. So it's sort of a follow on or my addition into reading disgrace by JM Coetzee and deals with, I guess the public shame in particular of like victims, shamees, as well as the um, instigators of, of the shaming. And so it delves, the book essentially delves into different parts of, or different, people who is investigated into this deep dive, this gonzo journalism into this public shaming. So he'll talk with people who have been shamed for writing something on Twitter. The, you'll remember the Justine Sacco, the girl who when going to Africa wrote something along the lines of, oh, I'm going to Africa, hope I don't get AIDS. Haha, <laughs> jokes, I'm white, so I'll be fine, something like that. He also interviews some people who took photos in front of, you know, just... Just disgusting, pretty pretty gross photos. One that you'd say, like, why will you do that? That's 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 stupid. That's an, you know whatever reason. Uh, but who experience exaggerated levels of feedback from what they've done, and then he also go into like to spice up the novel. He'll go into different places. So like he goes to a class or a seminar where people are practicing speaking without filters of any sort. And so they'll just yell at each other. They'll scream. They won't think of the consequences of their actions. They just say what's on their mind. And it's sort of like fun little different aspects of him going to all these different places, gaining like a little bit of insight and knowledge and then speaking about that. So the themes of the book, well, public shame obviously is the number one. And what makes it different than private shame? For me, I think, it, well, obviously it's to do with the consciousness. Other people are publicly viewing what you've done wrong and so there's a lot of tension there's a lot of focus on what you have done and how does that shaming aspect feel different so shame is is something that you internally feel for something that you have done or has been done towards you that invokes those negative feelings of like uncleanliness of of transgressing a moral boundary of some sort and the public shaming version of that is just obviously everyone else knows that and then they're heaping their um, their scorn, their judgments on you and you're feeling that as well. So it's obviously the aspect of the of being conscious. 
So here's a couple of examples that prove that we do actually feel it in different areas, not just in shame. So one of the things he talks about in the book is speed signs. So obviously you'll have a speed sign, say it's 50 kilometers an hour. And then you'll see sometimes underneath that an electronic sign that says your speed is 52, 55. And what that actually does is it, it brings, it's sort of like a hijacking the empathy or hijacking the consciousness of other people in that if you're doing 52 Ks an hour, you will slow down even if there's no one else on the street looking. It's just you and the visual information but that visual information is available to other people to to witness. So there's something, I guess, to be said about even if your, your transgression is a private thing and no one else is looking, it's, it's almost like nowadays that there is the possibility, especially with social media, for it to become a public thing, which is uh, a very different sort of 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 feeling and it also gets you out of your own head so the when you think about it you can feel this internal shame and it's like you directing inwards just looking at yourself versus when it's a public shaming you're looking through the eyes of the other person at yourself and then feeling the shame and the all the all the things that come with that so it's it's sort of almost like a doubling of intensity in a way you could think about it. It's like when it's just you, you're judging yourself. When it's others, another person, that's a doubling. And so does that mean it's a triple, a quadruple, a million times stronger if it's a million people looking at you? Obviously, you can't feel a million people scorn in a way, but when when it's a social media sort of thing, you can because it's all these other people coming at you. The other example I was going to give was the uh, anthropomorphize anthropomorphization of robots, which is if you have a object of some sort and you know it's just an object, but then if you put two points for the eyes and then a straight line for the nose and then a curve for the mouth, hey, it's a smiley face, it's a human face, and we all recognize that, and we will treat those robots differently. So, which is why. Robots are sometimes given human names, the Roomba, um, the uh, whatever those uh, ones are called where it's, um, I'm actually blanking on the names now of, of the very famous sort of like Sony ones and, and um, robots that they've created, the Boston Dynamic robots will sometimes give names as well, I believe. So that, that same sort of feeling where it's an external source is is creating almost like a, a a consciousness which you then treat differently yourself. <laughs> it's it's so complicated to try and explain. Uh, one of the things I did notice though with this public shaming was obviously it was a lot of it was driven by the social media, which is why John Ronson wrote this book. It's, you know, public shaming's been around forever. We used to go to whippings and things like that, and the actual reason they got rid of those was because they were finding it was negatively affecting society. It was it was creating people to become more cruel, to enjoy the fact that other people were getting, you know, punishment for whatever it was, for being a, an adulterer or for stealing or whatever. Uh, put your transgression into this box. And one of the things I noticed was obviously, so a lot of the people with the, with stories in this novel were were affected because they had this vast online shaming. And 
It made me care. Like, why do you care about this online persona of yourself? Why is it so important? And this could be two things. One, obviously, it has implications. If someone, if you're trying to get a new job somewhere, you know, these people did get fired from the work. They did get, um, I think some of them did get actual credible death threats, you know, a letter sent to their house, things like that. But a lot of it was just people jumping on the bad wagon online and, you know, all you have to do is you, you got your phone here, you turn it off, you don't look at it. You don't look at it for a month, two months. And then maybe this is because I'm a little different and I managed to go five years without social media, without any, like it didn't affect me at all doing that. It was, it was actually something I wanted to do like that. So maybe it is because I, I have that experience and I know that it's not the end of the world if you turn off your Instagram and Facebook and Twitter and whatever it else it is that you're using because your life will still go on and you'll still find that you can have friendships and that you can do all these normal things that you'd be able to do anyway. So I guess for me, it's like, yes, it has implications, but I think people overestimate how much implication the stuff that's happening on, on social media actually has on your life, such as, uh, and I'd include politics in the same realm and, and I guess like drama and things like that, just, things which I think don't really impact you at all, but because they're so engaging and they have such a a huge, take up a huge amount of your attention span that maybe it does feel like they have a huge impact. So that was just one, one little note there I found. The other main theme was, I've already touched on, technology, anonymity, and the mob, which I guess ties into unaccountability and just sheer numbers of people. And so of the two, it seems for me that definitely that accountability or having no accountability is the driver. That's the thing which allows people to make decisions which severely impact others, which is an absolute nothing on my part. I can go onto Twitter and write, you know, John Ronson's a insert your expletive here and and he should die and he should be murdered and that's very easy for me to say online anonymous bam it goes out but that first that person who receives it really does feel it that is a huge huge attack on them so i think the accountability it's it's not it's not the problem of there being a mob it's it's that the mob mobs are fine we we all get together in mobs all the time you go to a event a big zumba class you go to a sports stadium to join in on your you know your favorite team whatever it is the problem is when you're lost in the mob and you can do whatever you want in the mob that's when i think the bad things really start to happen so the numbers aspect of social media isn't really that bad of a thing it's more just the accountability people can do what they want without having the actions come back at them so yeah, it's, it's, I guess, like, uh, should technology be used to, to find our optimal Dunbar's number online or do we need to adapt? So, obviously, with social media, we can connect with vast numbers of people from all around the world. The problem with this, though, is we treat them as vast numbers of people. And maybe Dunbar's number, if you haven't heard of that, is a number around 150, which was sort of the evolutionary aspect of when we're growing up in small tribes, that was about how many people we could tolerate knowing. And then when it 
gets larger than that, we have to start creating abstractions for who that person is. It's not Dave, the baker who has, you know, five children who I'm friends with all of them. And, or, you know, I hate, I hate that girl, um, Laura, but his, his sister is, you know, really cool as well. And things like that. It's like, okay, no, Dave is the baker. So that goes under the bakery category. So he's just the guy who owns the bakery. He's not Dave the baker. He's the guy who owns the bakery, things like that. So maybe should social media be something that we use to find that 150 people, the optimal 150 people we should have in our life. So that would maybe allow me to, you know, have that that friend in, in Switzerland who I'm really good friends with. We connected amazingly, had such a great time. Our personalities really match. Maybe he should be one of them. And then social media just allows me to connect with him rather than having, you know, I think on, on our Instagram at the moment, we've got 3,500 people. Obviously, I, don't, I can't handle 3,500 people. And of that, there's, a, there's maybe like 15 who uh, have other podcasts and stuff that I really connect with and I really enjoy. And I sort of have a connection with them. All the rest are just other random people. So it's it's a very it's a very tricky thing and it's something to just think of i suppose when when you're using social media is how do you use it and what is your purpose in using it and maybe it should be to find those people that you really connect with connect with them and then either ignore as best as you can or if you can't ignore get rid of all those other people and then it it also gets onto like what is privacy nowadays so with the with the public shaming there's no privacy. It's it's out in the open. Everyone sees it. So, how do you go about like measuring that level of privacy? What level of privacy is good for you? And are we giving away something that we we pro- probably haven't thought about before? I listened to a real interesting podcast just the other night with uh, it was about AI, and this lady was saying not only with the deep fakes can they make you say things or do things which aren't actually true, you know, me doing a book review of a book I've never read before, but they can go so deep as to imitate your heartbeat from it or they can actually get what your heartbeat is, your stress levels, your facial recognition, your facial tiny movements of the eyes and whatnot. They can get all of this data and then they can actually implant that back in. And she was saying like, okay, basically, you know, we can do all these things and your phone with its constant microphone and camera is doing a lot of this. It is capturing all that data. So that data, should it be something that we own that we can keep private and whatnot? And she was basically saying one of the problems with phones is that the consent is sort of not given or it's not explicitly stated. Obviously, I gave my consent because I signed up to Samsung's terms of uses, um, you know, service usement and uh, agreements and all those things. Same with Google, same with Facebook, same with Instagram. So I did sign all of those, but I didn't know, I didn't read it. No one reads those things. So she was saying like, it'd be better if we owned our data. And one way of doing that is by having, you know, the watch. So the watch goes on your wrist and it can measure your heartbeat, your levels of stress, your how much you've ate, your blood glucose levels, whatever it is. But you have the option of taking that off, putting it on the table, and then it's no, no more. Maybe we should do the same with phones. Maybe there should be a default thing where it's like, I'm using the phone right now. I'm accepting my data is going to be sent to Instagram or whatnot. But as soon as I stop ending it, 
that's when it stops or it should just be made it more explicit. I don't know if that, I just found that very intriguing that at how far technology has gone that it can <laughs> replicate your heartbeat in a video. It's uh, insane. So my observations, the changing of the search results. So this book was written five years ago and yet they talked about how they could change the Google search results so that on they could artificially bump you up into the top rank or the first page of Google and obviously no one goes onto the second or third pages of Google. Same with the images. They'll bump you up into the top 50 images and then underneath that, no one's going to see it. And so there are companies out there that can do that and they were talking about how they were doing this. And it was not surprising, but it does make me question the long-term effectiveness of this. So they actually did this for one of the the ladies, uh, Lindsay Stone. And they said, yeah, we've fixed it. She's um, now the top search results for her are cat videos are her talking about her experiences traveling of all these, you know, neutral or slightly positive things. Yet, if you go to it now and you type in Lindsay Stone, you'll still find that that search result of her in, in front of the cemetery giving the finger in front of a sign that says, you know, have respect and be silent um, for the f- fallen soldiers, things like that. And yeah, so I think like long-term effectiveness for those strategies is pretty poor. It's probably best not trying to fake it in that sense, but either accepting that this is going to be in in Google forever. Who knows? Google's really only been around for what, 20 years. And also, but also maybe create your own blog so that, and it's something genuine so that eventually it will drown out all those negative ones or accept it, you know, be very accepting of it and create a blog post which has the photo on it but explains your reasoning, your why you did this, your outcome from doing it, some, things like that. I think it's just necessary to, to be careful, to be mindful of what your actions are doing and sometimes things where even though it might be unfair, you know, the, the shaming of a lot of these people in the book was pretty unfair on balance because it was so exaggerated but even though it's unfair you should still be effective with what you're trying to do to fix that the other thing was i might need to create a heuristic of non-belief for one-off events and a long-term rule for i guess like aggregating info in the book there was a lot of explication explanations and instances where a single event made me think, okay, this guy is you know, ridiculous. This guy is shit. But I don't know him. And I was fall, sort of falling into the same trap that all those people online were. The only difference was I wasn't then going onto Twitter and saying, you know, Jonah Lehrer should commit suicide by jumping off a bridge. So I noticed myself falling into that same trap. And I think I need to try and, you know, tr- find a way of, of cutting that down a bit so that I'm not instantly trying to jump onto the same believing bandwagon as everyone else. And it's only if I get this piece of data and then two months later, this piece, and then this piece over here. Now, I don't think the human brain is very good at that, but I probably should be making an effort to to try and do that. So in summary, there's lots of compelling stories. It's a very well-researched book uh, without being overly philosophical as well. I, I like that he touched upon these themes, but he didn't try and wax philosophical about it for pages and pages uh, it will arouse compassion distaste and even annoyance with 
a lot of the characters in it, you will find yourself judging them. You will find yourself thinking, oh, I would have done this in that scenario. But it's it's interesting just reading those and then seeing your own reactions to them and going, oh, okay. I'm not that different from everyone else. Um, I'm, uh, I'm part of the same race. I'm part of the same people doing some of the same bad things. I don't think I've ever... And that's one thing I, I try and not do. I try and not leave negative stuff. So even though I'll... One of the things I do is uh, like a daily podcast shout out or listen to podcasts. If, if it's a podcast that I really dislike, that I think people are doing really crappy stuff with, I won't say that. I'll just drop it. They can get that information elsewhere by either realizing someone who is maybe a bit more confrontational than me, telling them, hey, your podcast is kind of crap. You've got some crap views. Or they'll just notice in the search results that no one's interested and eventually you know, learn from that. So in total, it was a good book. I found it interesting. I'm giving it a 7 out of 10. So you've been publicly shamed by John Ronson. What's something pragmatic to take from it? Well, I've already listed a couple of things and there's many more to choose from. Being careful with your words online. Avoiding anonymity because it can make you do bad things. But I think I will choose... Don't get too attached to social media. I think that's the main pragmatic thing to take from this book. It's okay to use. Use it as a tool don't get too involved with it. Think think of it as an online persona, but one that can be killed as well. One that you don't need. You don't need to be Kyron down on, on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook. You can be Kyron down in real life and then you have that thing and then if bad stuff happens, okay, I get rid of it. doesn't matter. So that's it for today. I hope you enjoyed. If you know someone who's been publicly shamed, who's dealing with shame, maybe this book will help them. Maybe you could suggest to them this this review. And I would appreciate if you could tell other people if you're enjoying these reviews. And other than that, leaving a comment, connecting with me or Juan, it's always fun. I'm going to leave it right there. Kyron out.